0: This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, Winfield Tufts speaks on effective biblical leadership. Mr. Tufts is a retired Air Force officer. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2022 General Assembly. Let's listen as Mr. Tufts shares on effective Biblical leadership.
1: Uh, We're going to talk about Biblical leadership, and specifically we'll talk about two examples, two models of Biblical leadership, one with David and one with Jesus that we see from the Bible, and then we're going to talk about how they apply now. But before we even do any of that, we're going to have a little bit of givens and assumptions. You know, I'm an engineer, as Paul mentioned. And one of the things we always did was, before we looked at anything, was we said, what are the givens and what assumptions do we need to make? So I want us all to be on that same sheet of music, so to speak, and have a common understanding. Um, One of the other things I wanted to point out is, he mentioned that I was a retired colonel from the Air Force. And when I made colonel, the general officer, the three-star general that was effective in in that promotion, Uh, we were in his office, and he, he said... He didn't say, go be the best colonel. He didn't say, go be the best program manager. What he said was, now's the time to pass on what you know. So I took that to heart as far as Air Force duties were concerned, and I've taken that to heart as far as duties in the church and, and other things that come along. God's given me, as Paul said, a, a wide variety of experiences, which I'm very grateful for uh, the, the, you know, in the secular world, in the church world the education I received, and they've kind of all come together. And this seminar is one that's been brewing for a while. Before, also I want to point out some acknowledgements. You know, this, this seminar is not a one-person deal. Uh, it's, it's a culmination of a lot of different inputs from a lot of different people. And so I wanted just to point that out to you. all those people that are here that have had some kind of contribution. Some are alive, some are passed on through their books. Uh, One I want to point out is Aristotle and say, Aristotle, what's he got to do with this Christian thing? Well, just as Archimedes, you know, God made 2 plus 2, 4, right? But yet Archimedes is considered the father of mathematics. So God made 2 plus 2, 4, but yet Archimedes was able to explain a lot of the things that God did, explain truth, even though probably probably not a believer, right? So in the same regard, I think we can see Aristotle that way. God is is the ultimate goodness. God, we are reflections of God. We are made in his image. And we're going to talk about virtues in just a minute. And so what we're going to learn from Aristotle is his explanation of character and virtues to help us understand. And why Aristotle? It is his ethics, his, his explanation of ethics and morality and virtues that continues today from antiquity. And we use that today as we, as we teach people about ethics and morality. So another example of somebody that probably was not a believer but yet explains to very detail something that God created. Now, some of these assumptions are, I want to get to right now, givens and assumptions. First of all, leadership is not a leader selfie, right? It's not about us. It really isn't. You know, we see pictures of leaders, and they're in the, in the stadium, and I'm not going to name who they are, and they're taking all these selfies, and people are saying things about them. It's not about them, and it's not about us. It shouldn't be. It's about the people that we're leading. It's about our congregations. It's about our people under our care that God has put under our care. It's about us leaders doing things where we're always holding up these, our people and our congregation and wanting the best for them, at our sacrifice. One of the things about being effective leadership, there's always a destination. You know, I remember when my kids were playing baseball, there was, you know, the baseball dads would be out and about along the fence, and you heard somebody say, Hey, look, Johnny, be a leader out there. And I always thought, does little Johnny know what that means? He probably just means be the boss and tell people what to do and go here and go there and that kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is, leadership is about change. Is about moving people and engaging people and shepherding people or congregation, organization from one spot to the other. It's about change. It's not about management where you're just shuffling resources, but it's about movement and change. And the question that I think we have to ask ourselves as leaders, what is the destination? Where do we want our people in our congregation and our church as a whole, where do we want them to be in a year? Where do we want them to be in three years? Where do we want our church and the people in our churches to be in five years from now? Will they have grown any more spiritually? Will there be a spiritual positive change in their lives? If we're working in a leadership role in a congregation, then we should be shepherding and helping them grow so that indeed in three years or five years from now, there's growth. They're flourishing in Christ more then than they are now today. The congregation is more biblically, biblically healthy in three years or five years than it is today. So if we know about that, right, we understand that. If we think through that, do we, are we thinking about it deliberately or are we just going along and doing the same things we do day in and day out? Rhetorical question, I know what I did. I was thinking about it day in. It's the same thing. I didn't necessarily have a plan. You know, I, 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 we moved to Atlanta from where we were in Warner Robbins And so I've stepped down from being an elder at Houston Lake Presbyterian and and, um, inactive status. And so it gave me a lot of time to think. And you're going to hear some stories, a couple things in here every now and then where I've been able to sit back and reflect. And now I understand part of the reason why it's important for elders to rotate off the elder board. And I should have rotated off sooner just to learn some of the lessons that we're going to talk about. Good leadership principles apply at churches too. Now, you, we all hear about the five lessons to be a great boss and a great leader and these principles and, 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 and so many things on the bookshelves. And there's true, if they work in organizations, they work in churches. After all, churches are organizations too. But I gotta tell you, the more I study leadership and the more I read my Bible through a leadership perspective, I'm beginning to think all good leadership principles originate in the Bible somewhere. And then what we see today is just really somebody coming up with something and putting a label on it. You know, I saw one the other day that said, Oh, this great new motivation theory or principle somebody's discovered. fact of the matter is, it's in the Bible, and a lot of it is what you're going to hear today. I think the one that we all know about is Jethro and Moses, right? Moses worked himself to death, making decisions for the children of Israel. Dothro came in and said, why don't you delegate? Why don't you spread this out to people you trust? We know that as delegation today. So what is the point here? There is nothing new under the sun. All these great ideas that are supposedly out there today, even what you're going to hear today, that's why I've tied it back to the Bible. It's not, nothing, it's not new. I want to do a quick deep dive on effective leadership, what it is. I'm going to talk about virtues a little bit, and then we're going to wrap up this block. If we're going to talk about effective leadership, we need to make sure that we understand who we are before we talk about the things we do. Who we are, how we define ourselves. We define ourselves in terms of character. Because we, you know, character is states of being, right? We are virtuous. We are... Uh, courageous we are honest we have integrity in that case it's something we possess right we are temperate God is patient we are patient those show our virtues Aristotle referred to virtues as excellences of character so I think it's important that we define ourselves in those terms that I have here a couple of examples and we're going to see more in just a moment and the competent side of those skills and those abilities and those things that we do what we do are manifestations of who we are right really if we're the boss and we see a need in an organization are we going to go fix it hopefully we will hopefully we'll address it if we're the boss and we realize that maybe i'm not as skilled as i ought to be but i value my organization and i care about my organization that i'm going to work on some skills myself so I can do better for my organization. I can perform better in my job because my organization is important. In Dr. Moller's book, Dr. Al Moller, I'm sure many of you heard him, The Briefing, right? He writes in here the value of character and competence, And that's really what this is all about, two chapters on character and virtues, and the rest upon are written about what it's like the, the leader in communication, the leader in media, the leader in other things and skills involved. Come on in. Are there any extra handouts with any extras? Were there, there are two handouts, uh, please take one copy of each. And he talks about that. When I was at Antioch University getting my PhD in leadership and change, I had a professor there that said there are two errors leaders can never recover from, error of character An error of competence. The more I thought about it, I realized you've got to have, both of those have to be present in order to be effective leader. If one is zero, effective leadership is zero. But if both are there, and that means it's multiplicative, right? If both are there, they're going to multiply each other and they're going to build on each other and effective leadership would be even stronger. So it's all the more important that we as leaders are striving in praying about character, our own character, and asking God, help me be more virtuous like you are. Help me to have more courage and have integrity and more caring. Help me be humble. I, you know, I don't remember the last time I asked God to help me have those, show those characteristics of him, which we refer to as common attributes. I have to admit, I haven't asked him very often for that. And that's a question I would challenge you all with, and that is, have you asked him that too? And that's really important, and I'm going to tell you why here in just a moment. I mentioned a minute ago, virtues reflect God. We're made in his image, we reflect his image. Those communicable attributes reveal who God is about himself. And I think to some degree it, it reveals Our ability and has our reflection of God as well. Aristotle said virtues are excellence of character. In my dissertation I was looking for I was looking for caring and and where that fits in what it means and I happened upon a particular research study and that research study they took virtues and they took seven different leadership models servant leadership transformational leadership Spiritual leadership, morality leadership, ethical leadership, and one more that I just can't remember off the top of my head. And um, looked at 57 different virtues that they were looking at, And com- charismatic. They were looking at those 57, and they were doing a matrix of those 57 with the, with the seven leadership types. And what they did, came up with was these nine, except for humble, these nine, except for humble, were common across all those leadership types. Now, in my, pra- in my dissertation, one of the things I wanted to do was to characterize what it meant to be a caring leader or a great boss, and we will explain that a little bit more, but I was looking for something that had a wide application. A wide application across many different cultures, not just America. Because if it's just American culture, But what about south america what about europe what about eastern asia would it apply there or not i don't know but when i saw those nine i thought across all those leadership models i'm thinking maybe these are the nine that are culturally common and then the more i looked at it the more i realized well those nine virtues those are virtues of god they reflect him or or, and or Those are virtues that he commands us to be. Joshua, take courage, be courageous, for example, right? And then I added in humble. And the reason I added in humble is because that's a state. That's a state of us appreciating as Christians, appreciating and understanding where our relationship is. Jesus humbled himself on the cross to do the Father's will. We are humbled as leaders because we're going to put our organization and our people first and foremost. So that humbleness always puts us in that role of putting people forward and and employing these virtues for their good. Those there are common definitions for those virtues in handout page one in your um in your handout. So I'll present those to you again so we would have common understanding. If we had more time, we would discuss each one for a moment. I do want to talk about caring, and it's really important. Because we use the term caring about, I care about you, I care for you. Caring about is the motives, the ideas, the heartfelt feelings. But somebody doesn't always feel that. But it's when you say I care for you, are acting it out. That's when that receiver, that person receives that sense of I'm valued, I'm cared for, I'm loved. My my, uh, example I always use, I can tell my wife I love her all day long. And after a while, maybe she believes me, maybe she doesn't. So when i clean off my dresser or I clean up my office she really feels it she doesn't feel it like she nor like normally when i just say i love you but when i do those things she really feels it believe me we had that conversation yesterday <laughs> all right hey these are really important assumptions that I, i'm not sure that i've thought realized until maybe just a few weeks ago i really believe that in, when members entrust, they entrust themselves to our care, and I think it's important that we realize that as leaders. When they come into our congregations, they're hoping that they're going to be cared for. They're hoping we're going to be friendly. They're expecting us to speak the word of truth. They're expecting us to be honest, right? They're expecting us to have integrity. And if they don't see it, what do they do? They leave. Or worse, they stay and grumble. We don't want that, do we? When was the last time you had an interview with somebody for a job? Were character traits and virtues discussed by either one? Probably not. I've never had that happen. In, in um, Dr. Mueller's book, he talks about that. He talks about how important it is for both to be there, for virtues to be part of who we are. We are drawn to people that have virtues, virtuous people. Well, in the same organization, when we work for somebody and they're not virtuous, and we don't, wherever they feel like we've let them down, we leave or those people leave. So I offer that up to you for consideration and at, so that you will ask, we all need to ask ourselves, Am I reflecting you, Lord, like you want me to? And, and so then what's our response to these? Is it that question or is it another similar question? So now we're we'll moving to caring leadership. Uh, I'm hoping, I think we'll have a few minutes at the very end. So if you have any questions, please write them down and show them to me. Right. Caring leadership is that intersection between people and mission. It's all about keeping people important and keeping the mission of the organization important. If one is too important, it gets out of balance. If the other is too important, it gets out of balance. Aristotle said what? He said that a virtue is the medium between two vices. So, too much people making them happy is going to skew it one way. Too much mission says the people aren't important, and it's going to skew it the other way. So, it's how do you do it both? And caring leadership does that. We'll explain. It's a balance focused on what's important. Now, here's our model for that it's David. God chose David to leave his people. And in Psalm 78, 72, it says, With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. There are three components of that statement. Upright heart, that reflects David's character. And we know that he was a man after God's own heart. We know even despite his sin and his failures... He maintained that character, that integrity of his heart. Because in 1 Kings, God talks to Solomon and he talks about David being, having an upright heart, integrity of his heart. The second one is a skillful hand. We know how skillful David was in war, right? We know, we know he was a skillful shepherd. One of the reasons we know that is because God used David and his skill to write the 23rd Psalm to talk about the interaction between God and as the shepherd and him as the sheep and God, what God does and how he responds. We also know that David was pretty good with the slingshot too, right? So he was good at a lot of things. He had some real skills. One of the things I think it's really important is we think about shepherding. In the verse, it doesn't say David um, was the authoritative leader. It doesn't say that he, it doesn't even say he led, does it? It said he shepherded them and guided them. So I had, when I read that, I thought I had mental images of David being with the flock, out in the field, walking around in the midst of them, maybe, maybe spending the night with them at night, keeping the wolves away providing for them, all those things, caring for them, taking that action, right? So the question we all have to ask ourselves is, are we shepherding the people that are really under our care, that God has placed under our care? Are we really doing that? Or are we just going through the motions? I got to tell you, I was going through the motions too much. So my dissertation was high people, high mission, the power of caring leadership is experienced in the Air Force. And that is where I, this is all started, and that, this started, and then I, the, the, I realized the origin of this was David, the one we just talked about. I was at a going away party for the president of Antioch University. He was retiring, and all these people had great things to say about it. I mean, I, it was over-the-top goodness. <clears throat> this one woman said... I, my office was a closet, but President, I forgot his last name, Smith, came to see me. He sat in my office. He sat there a long time. He took time out of his busy day and spent time with me. And she was, you know, low man on the, she was, point well, was she was low lady on the totem pole. But the, but the big boss came down and spent time with her in, his, in her tiny office. It meant the world to her. So the more I thought about it, I said, you know what, I don't know if I've ever read a book on what a great leader is. We read these about, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the five-step success and, you know, this, you know, Jack Welch and the things he's done and and all those other kind of things. But when we really get down to the nitty-gritty, what are the things we do as great leaders that impact our, our people, our team, our congregation, those people under us, like, this particular leader did at this going away. So that was the genesis of my, of my research, which turned into this dissertation. So I went back home and I, I engaged 15 colleagues. It just turned out that was the number. It started about one or two or three and eventually turned into 15. And I asked them all, how many great bosses have you had? Every one of them, two or three. Now these are senior; these are either retired Air Force people, or or very senior Air Force people. And and in the Air Force, the person moves every two or three years, the boss above them every two or three years, and then the boss above them. So really, you can have a person can have 25 or 30 bosses that you're familiar with and know you, and you know them over the course of her career. So to say that only two or three are great. Here we are; a military organization supposed to be all about leadership. What the heck? Over? What? Why? Why so small? So then I asked them, what was the difference between the great ones and the not so good ones and the good ones? And they all said, first thing out of their mouths, they cared about me and they cared about the mission. They cared about me and cared about the mission. And I was expecting they had vision, they had sacrifice, they had all these things that we see on TV. But was they cared about me, and they cared about the vision. They valued me, and they valued the organization. I'm ad living here a little bit. But they showed the organization was excellent, and they valued me. So then I asked them, so how did you respond? And every one of them said, I'd do anything for that guy or lady. I'd work hard. I'd sacrifice. One guy said, I'll take a bullet for that guy. So that's what my dissertation was about, was trying to understand what it is that goes into these kind of actions. There were 67, so, so the dissertation itself found out that they cared about me, really had two components, personally and professionally. Personally, as they know about me, they know about my family, they know something uh, personal, they take a personal interest. Professionally, they take a purchase, personal interest in my, the growth of me professionally, in my job, and my career making sure I'm able to do my job. Mission excellence is all about mission is at level, and the boss is maintain a higher standard than anybody. There's no cutting corners. We're going to do the job, and we're going to do it right. And if we don't have the training, including myself, the boss is going to go get it. And then the last one is empowering the organization, doing things where the organization is empowered to pursue mission excellence and care about each other within the organization. The 2 highest high-scoring things, we, I did interviews and did a survey, the 2 highest high-scoring attributes or actions on the survey were when the going got really hard, the boss was right there, and the boss praising people in public were the 2 highest high-scoring things of all of the actions that great bosses did. You'll find in your handouts there are 67 carrying actions across those four components. And it should be handout two and three, and I'm going to show you a sample of those 67 in just a minute. There were 15 responses, stronger relationship with the boss, and stronger uh, job performance. That's also in your handout. That should be number three. So two of these, and then number three is that one. One thing I wanted to point out about the, the importance of being a personal, I read an article just the other day about Clarence Thomas. And, and, and Justice Sotomayor, now they're clearly on different just, uh, judicial philosophies, but she was defending him um, with some people who were negative toward him. And she said, Justice Thomas knows everybody in the department. He would walk along with somebody and know something about them, ask them how they're doing, how their family doing, how school's doing, something like that, but he knows everybody that part so she was defending her friend even though they disagreed politically those are the those are samples of some of the biggest ones about the actions, the most impactful actions very specific not abstract like care about or care for my methodologist, and from my dissertation drove me to get down to very specific things for the survey so I could see the impact and those are some of those 67 they're in your handouts now, how about the, car- the responses? Now, let me back up one question. Wouldn't you like to have a boss that treated you that way? And I gave a version of this seminar to some of my middle Georgia State University students, and they all said, man, I wish my boss would treat me this way. This is the responses that we got through the, through the research of people that worked for these great bosses. And when I look at that, Wouldn't we want this for our team? Wouldn't we want something like this for our team? The question is, how do we go about creating an environment where people in our organization feel this way? I think we as leaders always need to think about what that environment looks like. In general, that environment is this. When our team members wake up in the morning, they can't wait to get to work. It's a church. They can't wait to go to church and see their fellow Christians, their, their brothers and sisters in Christ. They can't wait to pursue the mission event or whatever the task is because of the enjoyment they get out of it and the, the uh, environment that they have. Now, I mentioned a minute ago these, these eight, nine plus humble uh, virtues, right? And in a sense, it's like an orchestra. And we all have these virtues. They're God-given. It's almost as if it's God's fingerprint on us that lingers after the fall. Now, we know David sinned. We know he fell. He wasn't always virtuous in that sense. And we're not always virtuous either. But we, we can be more virtuous as we pray and ask the Lord to help us be a greater, bigger, better reflection of him. So situations where all the virtues are present, these are at one time, I think we can make that argument. And it depends on the situation. One is gonna stand up and be more prominent than the other. In our value system, caring from a humble perspective will be the one that orchestrates these particular, these virtues. And when we act in certain ways, what we do based upon who we are and character. Now, if we change that model a minute ago, that picture that I showed you, and we're going to apply, use, use that in the church. Church is an organization, right? People are motivated to do various things. We're going to change that to this. So, whoops. So we have great leaders in our church. What do we care? We, we hope great leaders care about people. They care about the church's mission. Personally and professionally. You say, well, how does the church care about people professionally? Well, one, senior pastor has people that work for him. So there's a professional aspect of that in helping, you know, Paul here, he's got a uh, uh, intern, pastoral intern, right? So he's going to help him grow. He's going to help turn him into a a, a great pastor, just like Paul is. He's got an admin staff. He's going to help that admin staff grow professionally. But what about somebody in the congregation that's a more senior accountant and there's a junior accountant? And somebody brings them together in the organization. I'm hoping that senior accountant will be a mentor to that junior accountant and bring him along professionally, too. I care about the church's mission? We want the church to grow and be a healthy, a biblically healthy church, right? What does that look like? Well, Mark Daver's book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, is a really good place to start. He's got a complement to that book called how to, how to Make a Church Healthy. I forget exactly what, but it's the second book. It's more the how-to. This defines it. His complement book talks about how to become a healthy church. I'd recommend it. And then how do we empower the congregation to pursue being a healthy church, to pursue caring about people, caring for people, doing those things, They're important in people's lives in the congregation where they feel valued. So that, what would we end up with? Wouldn't we end up with a stronger relationship with leadership in the church? More, More willingness to follow their direction? More willingness to follow their vision? More engaged, biblically healthy congregation? Wouldn't we all want that as leaders rather than having to always twist somebody's arm to help out? All right, so here are uh, seven specific actions associated with caring leadership and shepherding a congregation. A longer list is in your handout. Uh, Yeah, it's in your handout, handout number four. A longer list is there. I'm presenting it here just, just for you all to get a sense of what those kind of actions are. Remember we talked about character and actions flow from it. Now we've moved into those actions that flowing from character and who we are. We, we, character was we want to reflect Christ more. We're motivated out of that to do certain things that are really important. We should be motivated out of that to shepherd our congregation. Here are some specific things that we can do. Now, there's some skills that can be honed as well. We know that the biblical training, everybody gets that. I've got a friend here in Atlanta who, um, who said, you know, we've got a lot of great guys coming out of seminary. The problem is they don't know how to run an organization. They've got no leadership training. Paul and I have had that conversation. In fact, Paul even mentioned one time the only leadership training he got out of school was how to have, how to, where to set place where and, and, and dinner wear and something like that. Maybe it was you or it was Guy Rashard. I forgot. But anyway... The, you see my point. So the question, so what we have to do is cultivate in our junior guys how to run an organization, how to run a meeting, how to write an email. If we're not careful in our emails, we can use insert the word "not" and change the whole meaning by accident. Particularly if we copy and paste from somewhere, it's really important. Nur- uh, leading and nurturing a congregation, we're going to talk about that just a little bit more when we get into relational leadership. But recognizing and develop talent goes right along with Jethro and Moses. There's a lot of talent in our churches. Right now, what are we doing? We temp- eight, 20% of the people doing eight percent of the work. We should be helping spread that out and more people that are involved in doing things in our churches, taking the load off the pastoral staff or the elders and the deacons, let them do ministry like they should be doing, as detailed in the Bible. Right? Um, I had a thought, I lost it. Any questions so far? Good, maybe. Afterwards, when we're done. Um, oh, I know. The, the point I wanted to make here about recognizing developed talent that helps people move. Well, well they made that decision. It becomes we made that decision now it's ownership now i'm part of it i'm part of the solution it's my church it's not their church it's me and i'm it i can't wait a greeter will say i can't wait for somebody to come in the church because i want them to love it as much as i love it we had an elder at house of lake kenny ron and that was his modus operandi on anything he did He was telling them his name. He was getting their name. He was telling them his name. He was hooking you up with somebody, matching you up with somebody that was in your particular career field so so that you would have somebody to talk to. Or they would sit with you. Come sit with us. I want you to love my church as much as I do. All right, relational leadership. That's the bond between leaders and followers. That's the sinew, right, of how they engage each other. But it's built on a shared life together, sharing life together. It's based upon experiences. The more experience you have, the more life, the tighter that bond. The more open we are, the tighter the bond. The more vulnerable we are and share things, the tighter that bond. Now, I'm gonna tell you what it is not. It is not that. That's just an org chart. And that org chart says, here's the president, here's the vice president, and the directors, it's a flow of accountability, it's a flow of duties, it's a flow of work. It does not, not show relationships. That shows the relationships. Jesus, in the middle, he had a relationship with his three disciples where he took them to critical things involved in critical aspects of his ministry, the Mount of Transfiguration, for instance. He picked all the 12 disciples, and the 12 disciples was with him in a lot of different shared experiences. The one we know of probably the most is the Last Supper, but then there were the multitudes, and some of me might have known their names, and some of me didn't. But he did come in contact with them, such as that particular woman who touched him, and he said, "Who, who? I, somebody, somebody touched me, and I felt power leave me." And then he had John, his confidant, so close to him. Something about their relationship—they were so close. He asked John to take his mother in, Jesus' mother in, to become his own mother. Now how does that look in today's application? So I was working with Tom Anderson on a case study from a PhD, Strong Tower Fellowship in Macon, and they were ministering to uh, an, a generationally impoverished area of Macon and doing a great job impacting people's lives. I wanted to know what he was doing. And what he was doing, he was building relationships with those people. And it started with his staff and his elders and deacons. And I was, I was also on the uh, provisional session with, with for Tom with Paul. Uh, ministry leaders, and then there was the congregation. And that's what I found in my case study. The further you're out in the circles, the less contact you have. The closer you're in, you have a more close relationship with the pastor. Now, I recognize that this model does not fit every church in PCA. So every church, anybody that's looking at this and say, well, how can it work for me? Take the principles and relationships to hear what I'm talking about and see how they apply in your particular church. And Tom had a confidant as well, somebody that he could go to and be himself no matter what. Now, each one of these has a different, the relationship between the pastor and each one of these circles is slightly different. The confidant was, I can do anything, I can be myself, he's not going to judge me. The staff, that's somebody that who's closest to him. The staff is going to be somebody who is your biggest fan. Pastoral staff, admin staff, they're going to be your biggest fan. They're going to do anything for you as a pastor to help you do your job. They're going to see the highs and lows, and those are the ones you have to be careful about because those are the ones that are most vulnerable as well. Those are the ones that are going to put themselves out there for you. And if, let's say, there's a bad day and the and the pastor comes in and something's happened and grumbles at these people that are the closest to him, they can say, where'd that come from? And I had a boss that was like that once. Where'd that come from? I don't deserve that when it's unintentional. So we have to nurture those relationships. At the elder and deacon level, those are colleagues. Those are the ones that... You have the toughest conversation with because and, and there are conversations because they're strong personalities and strong experts. But when it's over, everybody cooperates and graduates and work together to accomplish what's good for the congregation and good for the members. The ministry leaders are probably the most critical people, I believe, in a church. I've come to think that. They're the ones that are in the trenches. They're the ones that are make executing and making sure what the elders and the deacons and the pastor want to get accomplished or accomplished. They're doing it on their own time. They're doing it out of their hearts. They may be, some of them may be spending their own money and they're not asking for compensation coming back. They're doing certain things that all they want to be is acknowledged. They want to be thanked and they want to be told that doing a great job. Thanked and told they're doing a, doing a great job. Two sides of the same coin. And when we come along as leaders and ask their opinion, it makes their day. Because sometimes these people are forgotten; they're just taken for granted sometimes. Because they're all in a, they're not invisible, but they're not in that formal leader role. But they're doing so much. They're Sunday school directors, VBS director. All the they might be the person that's cleaning the building. Right? There might be the person that's outside making it look pretty so that visitors say, wow, what a great facility. So each one of those is important. Each one of, And the congregation is last. I want to talk about the people in the congregation. They're the people that are there. They're the ones that are looking to the staff, the, the, uh, the uh, leadership, to be virtuous. They're the ones that come in with those kind of expectations. They're the ones that are saying, okay, if I don't think you're virtuous, I'm going to think real hard if I'm going to stay here. So what do we do as those kind of, for those kind of folks? We try to remember their name. We try to remember their name. Did I mention the Warner Robins and the lady in the store? can't remember. Did I mention that? OK. They try, we, we remember. Maybe we remember something about them that, um, did I mention that about the lady? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll have to be done. Did I, I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. I'll say it again. Uh, went to dry cleaners. Lady said, nobody's ever asked me my name. I didn't say that? I asked her, we're having a conversation. She said, I said, what is your name? And she said, you know, I've been here 26 years and nobody's ever asked me my name. I didn't know what to say. But I realized that was her identity and nobody valued her enough to understand that. So what do we do? I had a pastor ask me one time, what do we do? Because I can't do it all. You're right, he can't. But... The, the pastor leadership can train caring leaders and members so that there are pockets all over the congregation that are caring for folks, that are taking action. So imagine in your mind's eye your, your church. And after church, you see these little pockets of two or three people around the church talking about something. And maybe this couple people praying about something. Isn't doing it right then and there as long as they're not embarrassed important. Versus, I'll pray for you. That's a lot more impactful. All right, so including, including thoughts, all these things that we see here before us are what I call the five T's. Time, we're all busy, but when we take time out of our day to invest in people, people know. When we meet them on their turf, we don't call them into our home or our place except for so we invite them in for get-togethers. But we, as leaders, we come out of our office of authority and we go see them, just like that president went down to that one lady with her office in the closet. We engage them on a topic that's important to them, not necessarily to us, to them. We thank them, we praise them, we give them tribute, we let them know how important to us. And then at the very end, what do we do? We take action when we can on their behalf. All of those are action-related. When I was a colonel, one time, I remember distinctly it was one time when somebody needed something, and I said, "Hey, look, I'm the colonel, and we're going to take care of this. we're going to do this this way for this person. It's the only time I put my rank on the table like that. Sometimes, in a leader, the leader has to step in and do that for people. The last one, like I said, is take action. Engage folks. Here are some key questions I think we all need to ask ourselves. How are we doing these things? My particular one is the last one. It's more of a warning. How are we preventing the bus- busyness of business in the church, preventing us from engaging people and pursuing effective leadership in ministry and relationships? I did not do a good job of keeping the busyness of business under control as the admin elder. Summary, those are the four things we've talked about today. Leaders always have a destination. Leaders develop and nurture virtues in others and in themselves. Effective leaders simultaneously focus on people and the mission of the church. We want people to flourish in Christ. We want the church to be healthy. Relationships are the heart of effective leadership. They really are. They're the sinew. They're the engine. They're what keeps those relationships going so that we can be effective leaders. And lastly, I'll leave you with this thought by Jack Miller. Uh, This book right here, I should have read it. I wish I'd read it. My wife suggested I read it. I didn't read it until many years, too late. But it's a great book on servant leadership. The Heart of Servant Leadership by Jack Miller. It is a tremendous book. That My opinion is the first book anybody ought to read going into an elder role or church leadership role. I hope. I hope it has satisfied and answered and given you all something to consider in your roles in your churches, either personally or take back to your leadership.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.